Welcome back to the Q&A. This is part two. So if you haven't listened to part one yet, it's okay to listen to them in reverse order, but it is the one right under this one. I love the questions that my audience asks me because it's such a range of different types of people, identities, orientations, ages, and I find that a lot of them have very universal answers. So if you hear something and you're not really sure if you relate to it, just stick around for the answer because you might get something out of it. It's also, I think, important for us to be able to empathize with other people because, you know, it just makes us more knowledgeable about ourselves and about the world around us. So without further ado, let's get into it. I'm your host, Birna, and this is Beyond the Bedroom. So I get asked this question pretty frequently, and it's more often than not in this specific situation where it's a woman dating a man and this is her issue, but there are also situations where it could be literally any other combination of people. But I kept it this way for the sake of answering because I think it's a really relatable question. So she asks, I'm dating a guy who literally refuses to give up when I don't orgasm, and it actually puts pressure on me and makes me feel worse. Like he will go down on me or use toys, etc., and sometimes I honestly am fine without having an orgasm. I deal with pelvic pain, and sometimes an orgasm can set it off. And while they're nice, sometimes I kind of just prefer feeling good during sex and doing stuff with him. So I also just want to note that Iceland did have a earthquake today uh, around like a five on the on the Richter scale. So there's a lot more noise than usual maybe in this episode <laughs> and I apologize. So basically she's saying that her partner just doesn't want to give up when she can't orgasm and it makes her feel like she has all this pressure on her and I find that this is the reason why a lot of people might fake it because they just want it over with and it's hard to communicate that actually I'm okay with not having an orgasm. So a reason that someone might not want to have an orgasm is because of pain like she mentioned and also just for other reasons like I know some people might be still dealing with some trauma and might dissociate after an orgasm but are totally fine having sex without one. There's a lot of other reasons and orgasm doesn't inherently equal pleasure for everyone and there's different types of orgasm and I think the research that's been done on this the most can be found in Emily Nagowski's writing. She does a lot of talking about how not every orgasm is equal. You can have an orgasm doing crunches for people with uteruses and you can have a really amazing orgasm without even touching yourself. So it really depends, right? So this person obviously doesn't really care that much about having an orgasm, but she has this partner that's putting all her pressure, this pressure on her. So I definitely understand that pressure can make it worse because then you get in your head, it might pump the brakes on your desire and it might make it harder for you to let go and actually enjoy. You also are now kind of inherently performing for this person and meeting their needs instead of fulfilling your own. And it's confusing because we get these uh, messages about you have to give someone an orgasm, but at the same time, you also get these messages like you're responsible for your own orgasm. So it can be hard to quiet all those messages in bed because you're dealing with a lot of mixed signals and it can be hard to decipher what to really do. So in this situation, I think that you need to reevaluate as partners what your priorities are in bed. 
and what your values are. Because this is something that we have discussions about with our partners in terms of financial responsibilities or child rearing or religion and stuff like that. But what you value in the bedroom is also really important. So what do you value in terms of physical touch and sex? Do you value connection? Do you value intimacy, pleasure? Or do you value like the end goal, the orgasm? Does he actually get turned on giving you an orgasm or does he just feel like he needs to check it off in order to do what he wants to do? This is a conversation that's rooted in a lot of cultural messages and I talked about it in my episode about the body count and the rules of sex is that there's this myth, right, that you have to orgasm in order for it to be good sex. And I've definitely had really good sex without having an orgasm because that was just, it wasn't going to happen for me that day, whether it was just I was extra tired or something, but it was still really nice. For some people, that's enough. And you're not failing if you're not giving someone an orgasm that doesn't want it. If someone wants one and you're not giving it to them, well, that's also something you need to reevaluate. You know, what's the communication or the physical issue? going on there. So I think going back to this values thing, I think if you understand what each other's values are, it can be a really important conversation and it can be really enlightening because there's definitely some people that think they're really compatible in bed, but then realize they've never really talked about what's important to them. He might be really thinking, well, if I don't make you orgasm, then I'm not doing a good job. And you might be saying, well, you're not doing a good job if you're putting all this pressure on me. So have this conversation outside of the bedroom, talk about what your values are, what you want out of sex and what not as important to you. Explain to him this whole thing about the pain and the orgasm. Explain to him also the difference between having an orgasm as a woman in society and as a man. It's it's a very different message that we receive and it can also be something that he might not understand. Like, oh, well, it, it's just the super complicated thing I have to work really hard to get. That's not necessarily true. It might be simple for you to orgasm if there's not all this pressure on you. And that being said, if you don't really want to have one, he's not entitled to your body or your orgasm. So next question I love. <laughs> so it's a very great follower of mine who always asks me very fun questions about her sexuality. She's very open with me and I love that. And she said, I use a strap on and I love it so much that I orgasm while giving. Is this normal? It doesn't vibrate or anything. I just can feel everything and the image of it is so hot to me. So first off, this is absolutely normal. This is 100% normal. And like I just mentioned, some people have orgasms and can have orgasms without even being touched. So if you are, if that's happening to you (laughs) during sex and you're using a strap on, it's definitely something that happens and you should not feel weird about it at all. And I think that's even like really hot that you're just so into giving that it turns you on that much. And I'm sure your partner is very lucky because you seem very enthusiastic. So that being said, I also want to just use this question to mention that if you orgasm in a way that's not like traditional, right? So we're, we're always taught that you like need clitoral action and you need this and this and this, and that's not exactly true. And 
there's some there's some people that orgasm with nipple stimulation. There's some people that orgasm when you stimulate a erogenous zone in their body, like their thighs or something. And then there's people that need like a plug-in wand in order to have an orgasm. And all of this is normal. There's people that literally have orgasms through mindful breath. And this is something that I think was really like a hot topic in the early 2000s, especially like this whole idea of, I think it was called the, the, the orgasmic breath cycle or something. So there's that. And so yeah, no matter how you're having your orgasm, I guarantee you that it is normal. So this next question also is coming from a woman, but this is something that can happen to people in various situations. So, and it actually did happen to me. So she asks, I'm dating someone who gets intimidated by vibrators. He literally tells me that he doesn't want to compete with a machine and feels like he isn't doing a good job without one. I don't know what to say because I'm often left unsatisfied. He orgasms and then I don't, but it's already over and he doesn't want to keep going because he's tired. Obviously using a vibrator would help solve this, but he won't let me. I think a lot of us have to take like a collective deep breath here. Oh boy. So I'll start with this. I briefly dated someone that was very similar to this back in... I want to say like 2018, like two years, two years ago, like in the early 2018 or no, like mid 2018, because I went from seeing someone who was like super enthusiastic about me and like my pleasure to seeing someone who was like, he, you know, he admitted that he had some performance anxiety and I was helping him feel better about that. And then it became very clear to me, going back to this values discussion, it became very clear to me that he valued his performance in bed more than my pleasure. He valued like looking good and doing a good job in a very traditional sense rather than me actually feeling good. And if I needed something in order to feel good, he basically was like, well, I don't mind if you use a vibrator on your own, but like if you're using it in bed, it's like I'm failing. And no matter what I said, he did not budge. So I understand that some people feel this way and it might stem from insecurity. It might stem from confusion. It might stem from believing a myth that like a pleasure device or a sex toy can replace a partner, which, you know, is not true. It's kind of, I like using this analogy that like cuddling a pillow is not the same as cuddling a person. Like it might replicate a feeling, but there's nothing really like someone who's living, breathing next to you, right? So it doesn't replicate everything, obviously. And there's nothing wrong with using sex toys. There's nothing wrong with having a pleasure device. And that's literally the reason that they're called that. I think a lot of people might get intimidated because they feel like, well, I'm, am I not doing a good enough job that you have to use this thing? And it goes back to this myth, right? That you are responsible for giving someone an orgasm in order for it to be good sex. And it's just not true. For example, there's this meme. I don't know if it was really a meme or if it was just like a tweet someone posted, but it was like the vibrator dick convo is undefeated. And and like a lot of guys were like, yay, like <laughs> if my girl needs to use a vibrator, she should, totally should because it makes it enjoyable for me too to watch her be so happy. And I know that 
like now I'm in the exact opposite situation in my relationship. Like my favorite phrase is like, can I see you use a toy? Like my eyes light up, like I'm like a dog with a tennis ball or something. I'm like, yes. <laughs> so I definitely went away from that relationship, but I did some follow-up with this person and they explained to me that they've been with their partner for about two years and they love everything else about them and this is just something that's an issue and it's not necessarily that he like doesn't care, it just kind of stems from a place of confusion, which I get, but at the same time, if you want to stay with this person and this is something that you feel like is, is fixable, there's one thing I'll say before I get into the sex toy part there is this thing right where it's like if you don't orgasm as a girl and you're having sex with a straight guy and when he comes the sex is over and you know it kind of reinforces this idea right that the pinnacle of sex is penetration and the pinnacle of sex is well when he's done it's done and I get that a lot of men might feel extremely exhausted after they ejaculate because that's just a normal bodily process, which by the way, I know that in a lot of instances, zinc and magnesium can help if you're feeling like very depleted after, like you can't do anything else in your day. It might be a sign of like a, some type of like mineral or vitamin deficiency, but side note, but I just feel like there are people that will prioritize your pleasure or think about it as equal to their own and so if you don't have an orgasm and you really want to like you're having that itching feeling right and they're just like well I'm done you you don't want to have to say okay well like I guess it's over for me too you know like that seems controlling in a weird way to me that like well if I'm done then you should be too and it, it makes me feel like there's no needs assessment there like there's not a good conversation going on about your needs and about your understanding of each other. So I definitely recommend doing that. So in, in situations where your needs are very unbalanced, I definitely recommend doing what's called a needs assessment. So you're literally just assessing each other's needs. You're saying, what do you need from me? And what would you like to do more of? And it doesn't have to be so scientific <laughs> in that it can be sexy. It can be. And it can be like, well, I just really want to try this toy and I want you to use it on me because it's not the toy that's going to make me orgasm. It's, it's how I'm holding it and how you're doing stuff to me. I really want you to see me do that. Make it centered around an intimate act for each other. That being said, there is a lot of people that are intimidated by vibrators because it's just stemming from a place of performance anxiety or insecurity. And there's not that much you can do because we can't fix other people's stuff and we shouldn't, it's not our jobs. So if someone's very insecure about what they do in bed, we can do the needs assessments, we can do the communication, we can say, can I show you exactly what I want? We can say, wait, before we do any type of penetration, I want to do X, Y, Z. But when it comes down to it, if someone's saying, I'm not going to compete with a machine, that's something they need to 
evaluate. That's something that they need to do some soul searching. And it might come from a very insecure place, but it could also just come from this these messages that we, we receive, right? That's like, well, it's going to replace a partner. It's going to make you numb forever. It's going to desensitize you. And it's hard because I'm kind of in this echo chamber sometimes of very sex positive people and very sex toy friendly enthusiasts, right? And it is tough to to remember that not everyone is like that. And and I obviously will encounter people that are like, well, why do you need so many? Does your partner not do it for you? And I'm like, of course he does. Like, hello. And of course anyone that I'm sleeping with does. But it's just, why not? Like, why are we limiting our pleasure to just what each other can do? Like, why not? And if he would do the same thing, I would support it. So it's, you know, it's a lot of stigma that he needs to unpack. And you can be a part of that process for him. I just think that it's something that he really should do the work on his own. And you need to make it clear that that's something you want him to work on or would like to see because it's beneficial for you. You can tell him straight up, I'm not satisfied and I love you a lot and I need to be seeing this and this happening. And you can go to the store together or you can shop online together for it. That being said, don't let him like tell you what you like, but just make him involved and part of the process. That's always a nice step. Get a partner toy also, a really fun thing. There are toys, they're, they're expensive, not gonna lie, but they have like, like an app function that is so fun and you can be like, well, I'm gonna use this toy and you could be like at work or you can be in the living room or you can be right in front of me and you can control it. You can control how much vibration I'm getting and then you can kind of learn what gets me off the best. So make it into something you two do together. You can also get something and try it on your own first and tell tell him, oh, do you wanna see me use it? You know, you'd be surprised how many people are actually more voyeuristic than we we think. And I would love to like continue this discussion on Instagram and see what my followers think because I know that they are going to have a lot of opinions about this question. So next question is, I'm a trans woman and I date mostly women and I'm now seeing a girl for a few months and we're both new to toys. I really want to incorporate toys, but I don't really know where to start or what to look for. I had bottom surgery and I need dilators and lube still. Strap-ons are usually too big for me and we have different needs with vibrators. Help. So love this question because... It is so important to understand what your needs are when you're shopping for a sex toy. And this is the perfect question to answer right after the last one because it's really great if you and your partner want to do these things together. And I know that people that can use sex toys together often get one that they both like. So if you do want to opt for a vibrator, I recommend getting one that has multiple settings. So not just high, medium, low, but you know, maybe six different types of settings and not patterns, but I mean like literally going from like the lightest type of vibe into the hardest sensation. And I know, for example, that Le Wand has a lot of different kind of levels to it, but it's expensive. Ollie from Unbound Babes, I believe, does the same thing. So if you want to go for that traditional wand category, get one. Don't get like the Hitachi that's just high-low because it might not suit both of you. 
I know that if you want to get like a, a more traditional kind of vibe, getting a bullet vibe that has like a motor function that you both like. So if one of you likes that more rumbly sensation and one of you likes the more kind of high kind of jittery <laughs> vibration, not sure how to describe that, but it's not as deep rumbles, then get one that maybe has both those functions or you can get maybe two different ones from the same company, one that suits you, one that suits your partner but I genuinely recommend getting a toy that's not necessarily a vibrator but more of a suction toy so ones that I can remember off the top of my head are the popular one the womanizer which horrible name but a great brand the Lilo and Soma both have one we vibe I believe has one but don't quote me on that and then unbound just came out with the puff so there are suction toys that have different types of sizes of the suction base so the part that sticks to your body so that can be really nice for people especially Especially those who have gotten bottom surgery and are either a little bit more sensitive there and don't want like direct stimulation or I know even people that are on testosterone and have bottom growth can enjoy it so I know that people of kind of just any type of vulva tend to really enjoy it and obviously it's not for everyone but it's kind of like an overall crowd pleaser and one of my favorite things about suction toys I know that ones like the womanizer for example, have these removable suction tips. So if you and your partner want to share, but you don't want to have to clean it in between, you can just remove the tip and put a new one on. And it always reminds me of like using a thermometer, you know, a little bit like having to put the plastic thing on, but it's really simple. You just literally click it on and off and they have ones in different shapes. So if you like one shape and your partner likes another, you can switch. And I love that. As for the strap-on or the dildo situation, there are actually strap-ons that you can get really tiny harness bases. So you can put something as tiny as a dilator in there. Because I also know that there are strap-ons that have a small harness base in order to use for more like anal kind of smaller rounder toys. So they, they do exist. And I think like one of my friends actually told me about this trick that she did where she put on a pair of either like kind of like spandex underwear and cut a very tiny hole in it and put a dilator through and then put tights over it and this is like a very like DIY trick and I'm sure like a lot of people know about the tights thing being like a harness but she said it really kept the dilator in place to have that first layer of like really tight like almost like Spanx material spandex or like swimsuit bottom material that that helped her a lot so you can definitely find a strap-on that is dilator friendly if you you, if that's something that you want to do. I also know that there are like there are toys that are made for this type of situation in mind where you want to share the toy. So there are like strapless strap-ons. So if in the future you are kind of upgrading your size from dilator to a larger toy, you can try one of those out because it, and they do vibrate too. So if you're not even doing like full penetration and just kind of doing a lot of outer course, that could be a great option for you too as well. So good luck. And I, I really hope that you give me an update on that and I will share it with my audience and see how it went. 
So last question comes from a guy follower of mine, and he said, I'm a guy, and I listened to your podcast episode about the sex myths, and I agree that the idea that men wanting sex 24-7 is so harmful because I have a very specific way I get turned on. So I need to be in a sexy setting, feel a connection to this person, and I have the best sex after a date night or after seeing someone happy. My wife is the same way, so how do I have sex when she's ovulating? We're trying to get her pregnant, but it just hasn't been lining up. So a little bit more context, this guy and his wife are trying to get pregnant, but it's not necessarily deemed like an infertility issue yet. They just, they've only been trying for like a couple months and she has a pretty healthy cycle and she has no issues she knows of, but they just can't seem to line up the nights that they have sex with her fertile window. So in most cases, so people that do have regular uh, cycles and not uh, not on birth control or anything, they usually have a fertile window about two weeks from the start of their last period. And you're really only ovulating for about 24 to 48 hours of the month. I mean, it's like a day, maybe two, but your fertile window is the time that if you have sex, you could get pregnant because sperm can live for two to seven days. And I I say seven with a little hesitancy because it's usually two to five, depending on your sperm and also the environment in your cervix. So there's a lot of factors that go into that. But seven is a good thing to say because it can happen and it does happen. And there are people that get pregnant because they had sex like a week before they ovulated. So it it definitely can happen. But lining it up can be tricky for a lot of people. And I also want to mention that hearing this, you might think that maybe this person is what's called demisexual or gray sexual, but he doesn't consider himself those things. And I think that it's important to discuss here that more people might have responsive desire than we might assume. So there is this theory that has existed for a while, the the Bancroft theory. And I know I've mentioned her a lot during this Q&A, but Emily Nagowski took this theory and added to it a lot and made it also a lot more palatable for the public. And it's this theory that you can have either responsive desire or spontaneous desire or a mix of both. And so responsive desire is what it sounds like, just you are responding to sexual stimuli. And in most cases, you need to be in a specific setting, mindset, or you have to be doing something specific in order for the desire to arise. And spontaneous desire is the opposite. You can just get aroused kind of out of nowhere, or you can have desire kind of out of the blue, and it's more maybe of a biological function. And then there's people, and in a lot of cases, have a mix of both, where they can kind of get aroused out of nowhere, but in the right setting, they can definitely turn it on too, so to speak. So it sounds like you and your wife both might have this responsive desire. So that means that it could be very beneficial to figure out what are the environments or mindsets that can turn you on and also to understand what turns you off. So for example, if you schedule a date night and you're doing kind of all the right things, but your wife has had a really tough time at work and can't stop thinking about it, it can be hard to be in the 
the mood, even though, you know, the bubble bath is flowing and the mood lighting is on, you know, it's like, it, it might be more like she needs to do something to de-stress. She might have to watch something that makes her laugh or go on a nice jog or walk with you. Or for you as well, like you need to figure out, well, what are the things that make me turned on and what are the brakes, right? The gas and the brakes. And it can be really beneficial to just assess those things and then realize, oh, well, we're putting all this pressure on getting pregnant and that might be a break. Which for a lot of people with responsive desire, this is the issue they run into when trying to get pregnant. They say, well, I... Basically, I'm doing all the right things. I'm I'm even having the super romantic night or I'm doing sexy stuff and it's just not really vibing. It might be because in the back of your mind, you're going, oh my God, I'm only ovulating for one day. I have to get this right now. We're gonna have a baby. It's it's a lot. So when you understand and recognize your, your kind of gas and brakes, you can also understand and recognize what's going on for you in terms of getting these things going, getting the gears turning so you can do this stuff together, whether it's like platonic intimacy or sex, more consistently throughout the month so chances are you'll hit on the fertile window as opposed to kind of planning everything around that window. It might be putting more pressure on you than you need to. So if you plan maybe once a week or once or twice every couple weeks, you know, and it kind of rotates to do something extra special for each other, like you order in so you don't need to think about cooking or doing dishes and you watch something you both love and you give each other massages and then see where it goes. I mean, that's just something that might work for you. I'm not suggesting those things specifically, but you know, you, you get my drift. <laughs> um, I really think it's important to do those things more consistently as opposed to being like, okay, well, we're scheduling our date night for our ovulation window. And that means that I have to do everything perfectly. Otherwise we won't get pregnant. That is a lot of pressure. And I think that there's this horrible thing that people say though. And they're like, well, it'll happen if you stop stressing about it. And that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if you have more opportunities to really enjoy each other's company and to eliminate those breaks and pump up the gas, then you will have more opportunities to hit on that fertile window and possibly get pregnant. So that's something to keep in mind. But also, if things aren't lining up, it might be good to go deeper into what each other kind of needs in order to get into that state of mind. So if you are a type of person that you get distracted easily if there's a lot of noise around you, then it might be like, hey, I'm going to just go turn off the TV and then I'll come right back. Like, it's stuff like that that we don't always consider to be some type of break for us, but it can be a good idea to give each other your breaks so you can look out for each other too. If she goes, okay, well, I'm just really stressed about this whole getting pregnant thing, then you can say, okay, well then let's take sex off the table for a little bit and not make it the goal. Let's just enjoy each other's company. And if it happens, it happens. And if it's like, well, I'm just really stressed about hitting the ovulation window, then you can say, well, why don't we just schedule it consistently? And then if it happens, it happens. And for a lot of people with responsive desire, this can be a really great way to ease things a little bit because pressure is stress and it can definitely hit the brakes for a lot of us. 
So that is it for the Q&A. I'm going to be doing, I think, one of these every couple weeks because it's a lot of fun. And if you want to ask me a question, feel free to DM me on Instagram at B-B-I-R-N-A or you can fill out my contact form on my website, B-I-R-N-A.net and you can click contact and there's a little form and it'll just go straight to my email. So feel free to ask me a question and I might answer it next episode or on my Instagram because I do these little story questionnaires (laughs) often and I hope you enjoy. So I'm sending you all of my love from Earthquake Land today, which is Iceland.